Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. I never want us as a church to get familiar with the cross, to get comfortable with the cross, to think, oh yes, the cross, right? Or worse yet, thinking a little bit more every year, well, we sort of deserved it. Or we needed a hand up, not a handout, right? Like I just, no, 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 we were dead. We were under a curse. We were crushed under our sins. We were separated from God. And it was only because Christ lowered himself down alongside us that our burden can be lifted. have fallen into the trap of allowing the cross to become just another Christian symbol. We see it at the front of the church, perhaps on our walls at home, and many wear it around their necks. It's become just a cultural icon. As Pastor Ricky warns in today's message, when we cease to be shocked at the intense, sacrificial love that was expressed on the cross, we need to take a step back and survey our hearts. It's truly incredible what Christ did for us on that tree. Let's join Pastor Ricky for part two of his message, Low, Lower, Highest, from the book of Philippians, chapter two. Christ humbled himself, not he was humbled. Oh, infinite sublimity of which it, of which it must be categorically be true that there was none in heaven or on earth or in the abyss that could humble him. He humbled himself himself. The infinite qualitative difference between Christ and every other man lies indeed in this, that in every humiliation which he suffers, it is absolutely necessary that he himself should assent and confirm that he is willing to submit himself to that humiliation. This is infinite superiority over suffering, but at the same time, also suffering infinitely more intense in kind. You see what he's saying? Jesus, at every point on the way to the cross, chose to humble himself, to submit again. And this phrase, he became obedient, meaning it's not like he didn't have a choice, but that he followed the will of God the Father. In Luke 22, he chooses, he says, Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Right? He is humbling himself under his Father's will. Jesus followed the Father, but he chose to follow the will of the Father. He says later that he could command 10,000 angels and escape at every moment, right? So when he's standing before the Sanhedrin and being mocked and beaten, when he's standing before Pilate, when he's being whipped, when he's being crowned with thorns, at every moment, he, as the world maker become man, is choosing, I sink lower still. He humbled himself when no one could humble him. And then Paul adds this in verse eight, even death on a cross, the final humiliation. The cross was a curse in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of the law. The cross was an instrument of shame in the Roman world, which is why victims were stripped before being put on the cross to further humiliate them. 
Dying on the cross was not an honorable death. It was hours of gasping and struggling and bleeding and soiling yourself in public view. Roman citizens were never crucified because it would be a debasement, the ultimate debasement to be crucified. And remember, in Philippi, all these people are so proud to be Roman that they'll never get crucified. And Paul says, he humbled himself even to death on a cross. And in the, in the eyes of the law, even the Old Testament law, everyone who is hanged on a tree is under a curse, according to Deuteronomy 21. It was for even the Israelites shameful and wretched to, to die on a tree. So the world maker becomes a man. The man becomes the forsaken, the shamed, the wretched. And remember what Jesus says in John 10, no one can take my life but I choose to lay down my life. Why? Why would he lower himself to humanity? Why would he lower himself to death on the cross? C.S. Lewis says this. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down from the heights of absolute being in time and space, down into humanity, but he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. One has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. And friends, what burden did he lift? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we as humanity deserved the curse for our sin, and yet God allowed that curse to fall on Christ, and Christ took it freely for us. He offered his perfect life, his righteousness, because it was the only way, it was only that way that infinitely valuable payment could be made for the sins of God's people. The world maker becomes a man. The man becomes the forsaken. The forsaken bears our curse so that in him we could be lifted. So what is our response? Friends, our response is that we worship I never want us as a church to get familiar with the cross, to get comfortable with the cross, to think, oh yes, the cross, right? Or worse yet, thinking a little bit more every year, well, we sort of deserved it. Or we needed a hand up, not a handout, right? Like I just, no, 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 we were dead. We were under a curse. We were crushed under our sins. We were separated from God. And it was only because Christ lowered himself down alongside us that our burden can be lifted. And friends, no matter your circumstance, no matter your situation, there is room in that for worship. But second, we follow. Is there anything off the table for us to sacrifice for the good of others if we are following Christ's example? What area of our life then can we say, no, this is mine, or to grasp something? No, 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 this is, I'm holding on to this one, right? What did our Savior not give up freely for us? And Paul says, have this mindset among yourselves that is yours in Christ. 
I don't want to pass this by. Christians, fellow Christians, if we have the name of Christ, we must have the mindset of Christ. You cannot accept Christ and believe in Christ and yet not adopt the mindset of Christ. It's not as though you can say, well, I love the gift of somebody serving me, but then I'll just stay there. Thank you, right? I'd rather not go serve these other people. No, they're, they're tied together. Now, certainly, we're not like Jesus in many, many, many ways. I think you guys understand that. I, we can't bear sins for others, but we can in a small way image the Savior by going lower and lower. I remember when I got married, um, and then when we had our first child, I had a conversation with a good friend from the church, and he had gone through this like before me, gotten married, and then he had a child earlier than me. And I remember him saying, it is so good because it will show you how selfish you really are. And it was true, right? My default was I wanted to come home and I was used to being able to come home and without Jen being there, I could just serve myself. I could think, what would I like to do right now, right? That privilege is gone when Jesus says, love your wife as Christ, love the church. And, I, and I, you could justify it, right? You think, well, I've worked hard today in the demon mud. I deserve a break. Now, this isn't just for men by any means. Wives and moms, you guys make the same sacrifices, but I want to make a special application to the guys here, the husbands and fathers here. In Jesus, guys, we see the true example of masculine servant leadership, and we must be willing to follow this example. One of the most deadly strains, toxic strains of masculinity in our culture is this sort of machismo where guys one-up each other by getting other people and other women especially to do things for them, right? They treat women as sexual objects and they hold out how much money they make and they show out their accomplishments and they say, in light of this, you serve me, right? Look, I, I love that we have good masculine guys in our church, right? <laughs> I love that. But th there's a strain of this that is, is deadly where you can be just to get specific here, right? You could be in the military, you could be an officer, you could be higher ranking than other people. You could be in law enforcement, you could work out a lot. You could think for whatever reason, I'm bad. And then you come home and you think, well, that's her job. This is me. You're my GS rank, right? You know what officer level I am at? <laughs> You're not their wife, so why don't you serve me? And Jesus takes that and crushes it. And he says, you know what real masculine leadership looks like? It looks like going low and then going lower. It looks like nothing is off the table. Okay, one, one illustration right here, because I just love this. So uh, yesterday, my dad texted us a picture of him making dinner for my mom, because my mom had surgery recently. And my dad's uh, cooking skills are not, how shall we say, um, top chef level cooking skills. And yet, here's what I love about this. He planned ahead after my mom's surgery and he ordered this thing where they send all the ingredients and stuff to you and you have little directions. And so I love this, right? I love this because my dad, man, he, he ran a business for many, many years. He fired a lot of people over those years. He hired a lot of people over the years. He made money, he had positions and yet he's in the kitchen yesterday with like the little directions and the little salmon thinking, okay, Honey, you stay there. You're not supposed to lift anything. I'm going to make dinner, right? That, guys, that is what I'm talking about. That's masculine servant leadership, all right? 
We've got to have that culture in the church that our masculinity is not measured by how much we lift, what our rank is, but by how faithfully and joyfully and sacrificially we serve our families. All right, low, lower, movement number three, highest. The world maker becomes man. The man becomes the forsaken. The forsaken becomes the exalted. Verse nine, therefore, do you love that word? I love that word. Therefore, in light of all this stuff, God has highly exalted him. Now notice how this is phrased. God the Father has always highly exalted his son, but therefore means in light of this grand work of redemption, God the Father exalts the son all the more. The son was always glorious. It's not as though, oh, now the son is glorious. The son was always glorious, but now there is a perfect showcase of his glory, his incarnation, his perfect life, his saving death, his resurrection. And verse nine, in light of that, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. In light of this victory, there's a new glory given to the son. So what's this name? Like I, when I read the text this week, I was like, well, what's the name? Is it like a secret name? No, it is God the Father's own name that is given to Jesus, right? In the Old Testament, God's special name, Yahweh, was translated into Greek as Kyrios. And in our English Bibles, it's translated as Lord. But it carries the weight of all the occurrences of Yahweh in the Old Testament. So essentially, he's taking that name from the Old Testament and giving it to Jesus. God says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, Yahweh, that is my name. So there is no higher statement of the clear and complete deity of Jesus than him being given God's special name in the Old Testament. He was always God the Son, but now, before all creation, God the Father bestows this name, his name. And in Roman culture, this would be shocking. <laughs> See, in Roman culture, they confessed. Their creed was Caesar is Lord. That same word, Kyrios. Caesar is Kyrios. Caesar was the name above all names. Everyone had to confess that. And in Roman culture, you could worship whatever God you wanted. You could do whatever weird rituals you wanted to do. As long as at the end of the day, you said Caesar is Kyrios. And Paul is saying right here, no, you have a new Kyrios and his name is Jesus. So that, verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love this. It like fast forwards us into the future, and we get a glimpse of that great and final day, the day when all humanity is judged and Jesus returns and this is a direct kind of borrowing from Isaiah 45. In Isaiah 45, God declares again and again, I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no other. And then he, he calls for everyone to acknowledge him as God. Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. 
see what Paul is doing? This is extraordinary, especially for Jewish people of that day. He is taking that passage in Isaiah 45 and laying it over the top of Jesus and saying, this is what was promised. It's Jesus that everyone will confess and bow down before. And Paul, man, he just keeps bringing it. He says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He names the three realms in sort of Greek culture. Greek, Greek world conceptualized the world in three realms. The world you could see, the world above you, which is like the heavens and the stars, and the world underneath, which is sort of the underworld. And Paul is saying this, every living man and woman is gonna bow. Caesar, he's gonna bow. Every tribal chieftain, he's gonna bow. And up in the heavens, every great star and galaxy and black hole will bow. And everyone in the underworld, every deceased ruler and king from the rulers of the Ming dynasty to the Aztec kings, to the pharaohs, to the presidents of the United States, to the communist dictators of Russia, it doesn't matter how anti-God they are or were, when Jesus returns, there will be no question who the ruler, who the Kyrios of the universe is. The world maker, the serpent slayer, the king breaker will reveal himself in all his power and glory and every knee will hit the floor and every tongue will confess he is Lord. So what is our response to this? We worship. We worship. We acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Friend, if, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not sure where you're at with the Lord, I want you to take this seriously. There will come a day when you see fully the rulership of Jesus and you will bow. And you have inside you the, the knowledge that there is something more to this life. You have inside you something that says this isn't random. You have something inside you that says there is a right and a wrong. And all of that is in there because God made you. His stamp of ownership is on you. So friend, today is an invitation to acknowledge who your Lord is who your maker is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And here's the good news. He is not a dictator. He's not a harsh master. He instead reveals himself as the servant who served you, who laid his life down for you. And so what, what better king could there be than a king so wholly devoted to your good that he would give up his own life? Right? There's something in us that longs for that kind of a person to follow. And today's an invitation to follow Jesus. And for all of us, for all of us, this is just a reminder, friends, in every area of our life, Jesus lays a claim. It is his. He is the curios, the Lord of our lives. There's no part of our lives that we get to hold off separate. We worship and we bow. But we also follow. Now, there's a great sense in which we don't follow at all in this last movement, right? <laughs> we don't, we didn't go to the cross, so we don't get the same glory Jesus does. But Ephesians 2 says this, that God has raised us up to new life with Jesus, that we have been buried with Christ and raised with Christ. So there is a sense in which we too follow Jesus into glory, 
Contrary to what you may have heard, our best life will not be now. It will be the day Jesus returns. But until that day, we go low and lower. And do you know why we could do that? As Paul's been modeling in Philippians, we go low and lower because we have nothing to lose. There is nothing of eternal value that could be taken away from us by this world. We could give away all of our money and Jesus in eternity will just give us more. Like give us glory that we did not deserve and riches. Man, that, that's what the Bible says, guys. I mean, this promise seems too good to be true. That whatever you lose for my sake, you will find. Right? This is, this is just insane. And yet... Jesus didn't have to carry us with this movement, right? He could have just died for our sins and said, all right, good. No, he raises us up new, to new life with him so that we have a hope of glory with him. So in the home, remember this, we do a thousand things that no one acknowledges. Maybe your spouse doesn't acknowledge it. Your kids often don't. Why do you do it? You do it to lift Jesus up for the glory of God the Father and to image him knowing that one day you will follow him into glory. In the church, we can serve one another sacrificially and relentlessly, even when people don't applaud. See, the real stuff of church service isn't glitzy or shiny. It is gritty, right? It is hard, but we are laying down our lives to do two things, to lift up the name of Jesus and to follow him low and lower until that day we're raised to new life. And Think about this, in the world around us, even in our jobs, in our cities, in our neighborhoods, we should be the people willing to go the lowest, willing to serve those around us. Rather than holding on to our position, we should be the people at the front of the line when there's a task at the office that nobody wants to do, we say, I got it, right, that's me. You think people, well, you don't have to do that. No, I, I got it right? We, we can do that because we're not ultimately grasping at our reputation or grasping at our status or grasping at money. We instead choose to image God and declare his glory and proclaim his reality by serving radically and sacrificially the people around us the way Jesus served us. Low, lower, and highest. In closing, uh, in 2014, violinist Joshua Bell returned to the Washington subway to perform again, but this time he let people know he was coming. And there at Union Station, in the middle of the noise and rush of commuter traffic, people stop. I love this. The author of that original article written about Josh Bell uh, for the Washington Post asked for a show of hands for how many people in the audience were some of the people that passed by in 2007, and several of them were there. <laughs> Can you imagine? And he, he joked that, that Josh accepts your apology, right? In the same way, guys, today we are getting the chance to not pass by the beauty of Christ, but to stop and to behold and to worship. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong in Pastor Ricky call the book of Philippians the happiest book in the Bible? As we've been discovering in this series, it's because of the incredible good news the Apostle Paul has to share with us all. Pastor Ricky has been teaching verse by verse through this short but powerful New Testament letter. 
emphasizing the joy that can only be found in the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. We hope you've caught some of that joy as you listen today. If you want to listen to today's message again, or explore more of the teachings available from Better News Radio, we'd encourage you to visit our website, betternewsradio.com. There you can also find more information about this ministry and subscribe to our podcast. Be sure to check out Pastor Ricky's Better News book, available for free online. This book answers questions about who Jesus is, why we all need to know Him, and how this knowledge can completely change our world. Feel free to download or share it with someone who may be asking these questions. We're so blessed to have you as our listeners, and we're thrilled that you joined us today. If you ever have any questions for us or would like to share a prayer request with us, please send an email to radio at betternewsradio.com. We'll reply as soon as we can, and we'll start praying even sooner. That email again is radio at betternewsradio.com. Thanks for tuning in to our program today. Join Pastor Ricky Alcantad next time to keep studying the happiest book in the Bible right here on Better News Radio.